This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, howdy, Bridgeway. Great to see you here this morning. I got to say that was uh, just a beautiful uh, words from Rick Good, and I got to tell you, feeling the love as your pastor this morning. Excited to be here and excited to jump in. If you're new or visiting with us, we've kind of taken um, this fall season to really work on an area of our spiritual lives, our area of prayer. And this has kind of been our, our prayer project for the fall, prayer project of 2022. And it really fits in this larger, kind of larger goal that we have as your leaders here at Bridgeway. And it's what we call our 10-year vision. You're going to hear me say this all the time because it's really what we're committed to, to grow in these two areas. Number one, our discipleship, which by that I just mean being a student of Jesus, growing in what that means. And then secondly, to be a servant like Jesus. So we're growing in discipleship and in our serving here at Bridgeway. And prayer really becomes kind of the gateway in which we begin. I think it's really hard to do either, to to serve God or to try to figure out what it means to be a student of Jesus if we don't start with understanding how God can speak to each and every one of us. So this series, I'll Pray For You, is really been my attempt to, to help you and, and to kind of ask you from the pulpit as your pastor, how's your prayer life doing? And not just to ask you, but to really come alongside of you and, and hope in the way in which we bring the series to you, that we can help you experience this, this power of prayer in your life. And I've just loved teaching this series because um, when I come to the topic of prayer, you're going to learn some things about me. I, I come to this topic and I'm really, I'm teaching it in the way I want to learn it, meaning the way I want to experience it. You'll find out real quickly, I'm, I'm not the type of pastor that has a lot of like prayer tricks. I don't have a lot of like acronyms that I work with. I'm, I'm kind of here searching God for kind of the, the realness of God. That's what I want. I want a real encounter with God. And so that's what I'm trying to bring to you this morning. And I think it's just been um, kind of the way in which God's been working. He's been drawing me into these stories in the Old Testament because I read about these characters and they're real people and they have these amazing encounters with God that just make me hungry for God in my life. And so if you were here a couple weeks ago, we kicked the series off and we first started looking at prayer through the lens and the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham was as shocked as anyone else to be praying and talking to God. He wasn't expecting God. He was sitting in his tent, and all of a sudden, knock, knock, uh, it's God. <laughs> and God shows up, comes inside of his tent, has a meal, and Abraham then realizes, I have the presence of God with me. And he begins to pray and speak to God. And if you remember that prayer, it's really more of, of Abraham like pleading with God. He's pleading with God for the people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they're evil cities, and, and Abraham is like pleading with God to spare these people. I would say that Abraham's prayer looks like pleading with God. And then last week, if you were here, uh, we looked at a descendant of his, guy further down the line uh, named Jacob. Jacob was surprised to encounter God too. In fact, he was so surprised, it was the middle of the night, he was all alone, and, and this man, who turns out to be God, kind of jumps him in the middle of the night, and they end up in this wrestling match, this MMA, and Jacob's got, got God essentially in this chokehold, and he won't let God go until God blesses him. And you see this very different prayer. For Jacob, prayer kind of looks like this, this gritty, kind of this aggressive wrestling with God. Abraham is pleading with God. Jacob is wrestling with God. And I, I think this morning you're going to see another character, another person, 
And he's going to have an entirely different experience of encountering God. And if, if that becomes exciting to you, then good. You're on the right path because God wants to speak and move in your life in the unique way in which he's only going to do that. But is that how you think of prayer? I think a lot of times we're so conditioned to think of prayer as like, well, it's one way. It's like the one way, and if you mess it up, then forget it. You'll never hear from God. And I want to show you just the beautiful way in which God works. But it means you're going to have to think about prayer differently. In fact, our thinking is really important. And I want to ask you this morning, like, just what are you thinking about? Oh, I know, you're hanging on every word of your pastor up here, right? Every word. But actually do this for me. Like, do a little mind exercise. Um, what's kind of on, like, the forefront of your mind? Maybe not the words I'm speaking, but sort of the, the soundtrack in the back of your mind. What's, what's going on? Are you aware of what you're thinking? In fact, just what are, like, the top five things on your mind right now? It, it could be kind of how the day's going. Like, you got here, and you didn't get to make coffee at home, and so you got here, and then you didn't get coffee in the square. And so top of your mind, first thought, only thought is coffee. Like, how do I get that fixed, right? It's not an addiction if you can quit any time. That's what I, I like to say, right? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's how the whole morning's been going. It was a race. Like, you barely got here, and it didn't come without some casualties. You had to get the kids up, got to get them dressed, got to shove some toast in their mouth. And, you know, you're driving here, and you ended up in a little, like, tiff with your spouse. And it's like, you kind of have this tension, and, and you got to get through that. And that's what's on the top of your mind this morning. Maybe on the top of your mind has nothing to do with church or this day. You're already, you're progressive. You're already thinking about tomorrow, right? You're thinking about the job and work, and you don't even want to say work. You won't even spell work correctly. You're so disgusted with that place. W-E-R-K. Like, I'm not going to give it the dignity of a proper spelling. And you're thinking about that place and your job, and your mind is already down there. Maybe your, your mind is on, I don't know, the elections are like nine days away, and of course they tell you on the news that these are the most important elections ever, and I think they told me that last time. And so, you know, you're trying to get your head around causes and people, and I tell you every, every time, you know, be Become informed and then go and vote. And at the same time, love your neighbor along the way. And maybe that's hard for you because, you know, you just you find yourself in this election infection and people kind of all of a sudden get on your nerves. And that's all you can think about this morning. I don't know. I named five or six things. And then I got to bring us back to this topic. Is, is prayer one of the things <laughs> that you think about? I mean, is prayer ever on your mind. And I want to get at this idea this morning of, of how what you think about will largely shape the experiences and the ways in which you think about them will largely shape the ways in which you experience And so this morning, I, I want to talk about this idea of what's begging for your attention. What's the experience that's going on in your mind like currently? And can you bring that before God. In fact, I'm up here this morning, and I know there was a tiny little game last night, right? No, no one was that, you know, clued into the game last night. In fact, I wasn't. I didn't watch any of the game. Uh, I was over on the east side of the state officiating a wedding, and I was coming back from that wedding, and my mind was still on the wedding. In fact, the mind still had my full attention, even though it's, it's late. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm, I'm old, so late is anything after 9 p.m., and so it's like 11 o'clock at night, and I'm driving home, and I'm so tired. I'm thinking about the wedding. I'm not thinking about the performance of the wedding. That was fine. I'm thinking about 
the interactions and, and did I add value? Was, was, were they formative? Did I, you know, kind of help anyone in any way? And I'm thinking about all these people and conversations and people I haven't seen in a long time and people that are just near and dear to me. And I'm, I'm kind of reminiscing, even though it was just a few hours ago. And, and then all of a sudden, driving, I said the speed limit in the first service and I incriminated myself. Let's just say I was over the speed limit. And it's late and it's dark. And there, in the center of the road, I notice a white-tailed deer. Now, I did not notice the deer at first because it was standing, like, right on the line. I did not notice it until it turned its head and looked at me as I'm driving way too fast. And I had a decision to make. In fact, I'm thinking in this moment, I am going to hit this deer. My day has gotten tremendously worse in just a moment. And all of this is going through my mind, and I'm kind of checking down. And then I decided to do what they tell you not to do. I swerved, right. And then all of a sudden, not only did the deer have my attention, the rumble strips had my attention. And so I swerved again very sharply and found the other rumble strips. Praise God, there was no one else on the road at this hour of night. And boy, oh boy, that was a harrowing experience I have a heart condition, mind you. Like, that's a lot for me to go through. And it just had my attention. And I, I think about that in this moment, that what you give your attention to will largely shape the experiences that you have. How about the experiences that you have with God? It requires that he, too, has our attention. And so what I want to look at this morning is I, I want to look at a story of someone in the Bible who I actually feel like gets it right, like actually has his full-on attention on the presence and the voice of God. So if you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, if you hit Leviticus, you've gone too far. Uh, the first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch, and they're written by this guy that we're going to read about. His name is Moses. And Moses sort of has this highlight real experience with God. He's one of my favorite characters because there's so much that happens in his encounters with God. In fact, he starts off in a way that you would think his life is doomed. He's born under Egyptian oppression, and uh, his, uh, the edict is that Pharaoh is killing all male, bo- all male children, all boys, exterminated. And so his parents have him in secret, and then they place him in a basket and float him down the river. Now, let me just tell you, does that, does that just spell out desperation? I mean, when you think that the best chance that your child has got is, well, we can fashion some reeds together. It looks like a boat. Here you go, buddy. Here's the rapids, right? Like, good luck in life. And by God's beautiful sovereignty, he lands right in the arms downstream in Pharaoh's daughter's hands. And she's enamored with the child, baby, and brings him into her home, which is the palace, and he becomes... Uh, this person of incredible opportunity. He's given a world-class education. He has affluence and power. He's the prince of Egypt. But to his core, he's still an Israelite. And so he's in this position of power, but he sees two Israelites being oppressed by their slave ruler, the Egyptian. And he goes down, and the anger gets the better of him, and he ends up killing the Egyptian slave ruler. And now he's really in trouble because now he's a murderer and he's wanted by the Egyptians. But his own Israelites turn on him like, ew, we don't, you're a murderer. We don't want you either. And so he's forced to run for his life. And he spends the next 40 years getting as far away from his people as he possibly can. 
he gets married, he has a kid, and he takes up a brand new career. He's a sheep herder. He's a shepherd now. That's his job. And he probably thinks, this is it. Oh, in fact, um, he's now 80 years old, all right? So keep that in front of your mind throughout what we read this morning. He's 80 years old. I don't know about you, but you kind of get to that point in life, and you think, I think I'm going to wind things down a little bit, right? I mean, maybe winter's in a warmer climate, and I take up golf, and I want one of those, you know, glasses with a little umbrella in it. Like, I've reached that point, right? Like, that's kind of where you think Moses should be going. But in fact, at this point of his life, it's not winding down. His spiritual life is about to become uh, the most vibrant it's ever been. This becomes his spiritual awakening. He goes from very mundane to the miraculous. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read kind of this whole story. I'm going to skip a a small section. Uh, The words will be on the screen for you as well here. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Skipping down to verse 9. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, that's a a longer narrative. We're talking about our attention this morning, and I hope I didn't lose you in that story, but I wanted to read kind of that whole arc so that you could see sort of the two ends of what we would call the calling of Moses and then the sending of Moses, two very important parts of his life. Um, I I could preach till about two this afternoon and cover them both, but I won't. I want to just focus just on the calling part of Moses. In fact, let's just focus just on that strange, bizarre sight, the burning bush. Uh, Think about that for a moment. How many of you, you just, you love a good bonfire, right? Like a good, oh yeah, show of hands on this one. And, And some of you are like, come on, pastor, it's not really a bonfire unless those flames are six, seven feet tall. You know, we're not trying hard enough. It's not a real roaring fire. And I want to just dedicate this message to all the pyromaniacs out there, right? Like, like that's sort of what Moses kind of walks into this scene of. It's this strange, bizarre, like, fire in the wilderness. And, and it catches his attention. And there's something very unique that happens here that I, I don't see anywhere else in Scripture. There's this sort of this pattern. I'm a little cautious to give this to you, but I want to show you the way in which this story sort of operates for Moses. 
I think there are four very clear moves that happen with Moses and his attention kind of growing with God. And it looks like this. He has these four very distinct activities. He sees the burning bush. He then turns towards the burning bush. He then is instructed to take off his sandals. And then he listens. Then he hears the voice of God. Now, I said I'm cautious to give this to you because I wouldn't want you to see this and to begin to think, oh, there it is, pastor. You know, he said he wasn't into gimmicks, but it seems like he just gave us one. Uh, This is not like a prescription. This is not prescriptive of how God works. Now, this may be descriptive of how God is working in this story and in the life of Moses, but it's everything to Moses. I mean, this order is crucial. He, He sees the fire. And I was doing some research, and actually um, theologians would say that actually wouldn't be a very rare sight. Um, in fact, in the desert, which is where he is, uh, they would have brush fires all the time. Lightning would strike, someone would leave a fire unattended, and in dry, arid climate, you would have a fire happen. And so he's probably seen many fires in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but it seems kind of rare to me. Uh, a few weeks ago, Sean and I were traveling. We were out in Clovis, New Mexico. I did not know this is a thing in New Mexico, but they actually have to worry about the tumbleweed catching on fire. In fact, uh, it's so dry out there. We were camping, and you couldn't even have like a campfire at your campsite. I'm like, Michigan's way better in their camping. Like, you can have a roaring fire in a state campground, but they're afraid that it will catch this tumbleweed. And then what you have is, in fact, someone said this to me. Did you hear about the tumbleweed incident? And I'm like, Wow, that's really big news out here in Clovis, New Mexico. That did not reach my news feed back in Michigan. But this person was very distraught because the tumbleweed kind of gets on fire and then it starts rolling through the plains and there's like these fireballs that are just rolling all over the place. And I'm like, that's cool. We were there, it rained for two days, so we didn't see any tumbleweeds on fire. But he sees this thing and it's not uncommon, but he does the next thing. This is what's uncommon. He actually turns towards it. And it's fascinating. He gives it his attention. I don't know if this was like a standard route that Moses kind of walked on, kept the sheep in. And something about this, he says, I must turn. I must go in this direction. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we've sort of kind of gotten into this, I don't know, this tradition of thinking, well, God will show up. And, well, you know, God will show up anywhere in life. And I'm just waiting on God. And I don't know, those can kind of sound a little cliche, because what, what I see is God showed up, but it required that Moses was actually willing to kind of go on a detour, right? Like, he's on this hunt to go see what's going on, and we sort of like, well, I just got to sit back, and God will show up in my life. No, I think if you want to experience a miraculous, you too have got to be willing to go on a detour wherever God may take you, and this changes everything. I mean, the fact that he turns, the, the language here is so interesting. I mean, if he doesn't turn, if he doesn't take this detour, you never hear of Moses. I mean, he's not the prince of Egypt. He, he's not the guy that brings the ten plagues before Pharaoh. He doesn't part the Red Sea. None of that happens. And he allows himself to go on this detour. He, he sees this, and he says, I will go over, verse 3, I will go over. And then God notices, and it says in verse 4, the Lord saw that he had gone over. There's something about him turning and going, and it's, it's like it unlocks this code. And all of a sudden, God then speaks. This booming voice, right? Moses, Moses. And you just get the sense that he had found his way into a very special moment with God. And then he's instructed to take off his sandals. He's on holy ground. And I, 
think this is the reminder for all of us that we're always on holy ground before God. But he does that, and then things begin to grow. His attention span deepens with God, and he begins to listen to what God has in store for him. This listening is really um, what I would say is kind of the key component missing in most people's prayer lives. In fact, you've heard me talk about uh, probably my favorite philosopher, theologian, uh, is a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And I, I love brilliant people because they can make the, the difficult, the complex, so simple. And Willard has this really easy definition of prayer. He says, prayer is listening and then talking with God about what we're going to do today. I just love that. Just listening and then talking. Hey, God, what are we going to do today together? And this is where I think for Moses, this awakening really begins. I got to tell you this morning, is that how you view prayer? I, I think we get so caught up in, well, okay, it's prayer time. Like you somehow define the prayer time, right? Like I'm going to sit down now. I'm in my comfy couch and, and oh, I've got, my, I've got everything in order. I've got my special verses. I've got my list perfectly copied from the prayer chain. And I'm going to tell God what he doesn't know we need to pray about. And, you know, now we're ready. Like, like it's something that you manufacture. And we see with Moses this very different, this wild, this chase of saying, you know what, I'm going I'm to go wherever the flames are the hottest because that's where God is. And he finds himself then listening to this, this God that has taken up the cause of his people. And I bet this would have been, I think, warming to Moses' heart to hear that God still cares about his people, the Israelites. He wants to rescue them. And then I bet Moses started to get a little nervous because he starts hearing this language of, go, I'm sending you. No, 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 this is all fine. You go rescue the people, God. And he knows that this calling is going to lead him into some very dangerous and uncomfortable positions. But I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I want to I stay on this first part about the burning bush. I think we'll never understand and be able to follow our calling in life until we actually learn how to listen to God. And so a couple thoughts I have for you this morning that I, I see in Moses' life that, that honestly I, I want in my life. And I think it starts with this. I, I think it begins with God requiring your undivided attention. Let me just ask you this morning, are you fully present before God? And not just in this moment, because you're in church, but in other moments, or maybe in every moment, does God get your fullest of attention? It's interesting because this is an area where I feel like I need a lot of work, like undivided. I mean, is anything in my life undivided? I feel like I'm always divided and multitasking. Like that's you know, that's like considered a gift, right? If you can multitask, and what is that? That's actually just a finer and finer division of who you are as, as a person of integrity. And so I've been thinking a lot about this, and then I, I stumbled across a number of articles. I'll cite just one. It was one done by Microsoft, and they found something out about us. They, they determined that the average adult, get this, you're not going to like this, the average adult has an attention span of eight seconds, They've done brain scans on us adults. Eight seconds. That's the best you got, right? And here's the problem. We've actually fallen behind the incredibly brilliant goldfish. How do you feel about that this morning? A goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. That little tiny, you know, brain inside of it can actually hold its attention longer then we can. And then if you want to know the really sad part about this study that Microsoft did is they've been doing this for like over 15 years. 
And they found that back in 2000, when they first started scanning our brains, our attention span was off the charts. It was 20 seconds long. Hey, at least you were better than the goldfish back then, right? And you see this, like, I, you didn't come to church this morning to have to know that, right? I mean, you, you knew that already. Our attention spans are dropping. Everything about us screams shorter, faster, get to the point, even right now, right? And that's the crazy thing about it. We, we've given up on long form for this desire for something quick and tweetable, right? In fact, you look at movies, uh, movies aren't even uh, really what are sought after. It's, it's television programming. Get someone hooked on a series. They can only handle about 30 minutes anyways, right? Instead of long-form documentaries, we've, we've bought into YouTube shorts. In fact, uh, I was reading another article about marketing, and they were saying when you're marketing, you don't even want to post anything on your social media feeds because nobody scrolls anymore. Direct quote from this marketer. In fact, if you want someone to see something, put it in your stories because that's a video, and someone will actually watch your stories. Why? Because that's at the top of your feed. It's no effort to have to get to. I mean, it's honest in just saying no one is paying attention. How would you like my job? <laughs> I mean, every week, 30 minutes trying to gain and have access to your attention. I, I speak to pastors and talk to people who do this, and it, it's funny how pastors kind of feel that pressure. Like, I, I got to figure out how to engage, and then I got to figure out how to be smart, but not too smart. Don't use too big a words. They won't like that. And, you know, be funny, but act your age. And there's this incredible challenge of trying to hold someone's attention. The most encouraging part about the article from Microsoft is they actually said, uh, shout out to all the old people in the room, the older you get, the better you can get at your attention span. Like the neuroplasticity of your mind actually means you can focus and hold your attention longer. So we got that working for us, at least that. So not only does God want your undivided attention, but then the next thing to ask is, well, then what do I pay attention to. And I would say that you need to begin to pay attention to the tensions that you feel in your life and around you. In fact, tension is what this whole story is about. It's this fire that he sees. And I don't know about you, but if I see a fire, it's pretty obvious to me. I mean, I can only think of a few fires I've been witness to. And in fact, I was thinking this week about when uh, the big fire downtown uh, at the corner bar. And I lived north of town about four miles, and I remember seeing the smoke. It was a Monday morning, and smoke just uh, coming from downtown. And, and, you know, there's two types of people. There's those who run away from fire, and then there's people like me who get in the car and run towards the fire. And had my boys with me, and we could just see these flames just shooting out of the hot dog capital of our world, right? And, and it was such a jarring moment to see that. I'll never forget that. And and yet, the strange part is, it's easy, it's obvious to see big fires. I think the tension is really to see the small fires before they become big. And I looked at this from a different lens. I was looking at it through the lens of psychology, and I was reading this one article, and this one psychologist said, well, you know what you need to do is you need to focus very intently. In fact, he used uh, this picture up here, this vortex. And I actually, at one point, had this as my whole slide. It was like the whole giant screen. And I'll show you why I didn't do this. In fact, I want to do what the psychologist suggested. I want to do a little experiment for a moment. Um, play along with me. I want you to look at that vortex. Look intently at that vortex. What do you see? Okay, look harder. Really focus on that vortex. Do you see it yet? 
All right, it's just a joke. There's nothing there. Uh, actually, what I found is if it was larger, it actually makes you extremely dizzy. And that was his point. When you focus on this vortex, it'll just make, literally, your head spin if it filled the whole screen. So I, I spared you from that. But I think that's the point, that there's this tension. And maybe that tension, maybe that dizziness isn't always what's out there, but it's actually what's inside of you. Maybe those are the small fires that we need to pay attention to the tension of. In fact, um, brilliant uh, theologian, this guy down here, St. Ignatius, he was a, a Spanish priest and theologian and developed kind of this whole way of praying called the Ignatian prayer model. And he built it all around paying attention to the inner dizziness, the inner dialogue of our souls. And he told his people that you need to pay attention to the consolations and desolations of your heart. Now, there I did it. I just used two really big words. Um, and what I mean by that is the consolations are the things in your heart that are, are really good. They're the places and the moments and the experiences that just kind of warm your heart. You feel joy. Maybe the consolation is a person that's come into your life, and you just you love being around that person. And Ignatius would say, and orient your prayer life around those consolations, while at the same time monitoring your desolations. Now, you can probably figure out what that means. Your experiences and moments where you feel desolate, where you feel distant, where you feel this farness. Today, we would use words like, I, I feel this heaviness. I feel this, this darkness or depression around me. And Ignatius would say, he was way ahead of his time, he would say, uh, you have to pay attention to both. And it's not that one is good and the other is bad. They just are, and they speak to the condition of your soul, the tension of your soul, and make that your prayer before God. And I'll just tell you, I've experienced this myself, just these moments, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but I think oftentimes when I've tried to help people, there are oftentimes people who have all these feelings and all these things going on, or maybe addictive behaviors and if you could just get them to focus on that one area, their lives could change in a moment. In fact, I had, had a friend that went through uh, AA, and he had this acronym. He had kind of figured out what his triggers were. And I'm not sure if he got it from AA, but he talked about how for him it was all around this word HALT, H-A-L-T. He was triggered when he was experiencing times of hunger or anger or loneliness or just being tired. And for him, it was this way in which he could begin to tune in to that inner dialogue. See, I think those are the places where God wants us to pay the most attention to our souls. Again, I won't ask for a show of hands on this, but you probably know someone who has all these feelings, has all these things going on, and instead of dealing with them, they, they medicate or self-medicate or numb out. And what God is calling us to is to pay attention to these tensions. In fact, the whole series is titled, I'll Pray For You, and I was thinking, um, if you don't know where to begin and you're here, honestly, you're saying, Pastor, you lost me at consolations. You know, you just lost me at that big word. I want to give you a prayer, and it's only three words long. In fact, you don't even have to write this down. You'll probably remember this prayer. But if you need to get in touch with where you're at, kind of your inner soul, your dialogue, your tension inside, just make this your prayer. Just very simply pray, God, show me. Just make that your prayer. And you can pray that once a day, you can pray that a thousand times a day. God, show me. And then just zip it. Go back to listening. <laughs> and just allow God to begin to show you 
what's inside and what he really wants to deal with. You know, I was uh, grateful to be back, and um, I had missed uh, two of our, the, the first two prayer nights. I, I called them our old-fashioned prayer nights, and I got to be at the last one this past Tuesday, and we met right over in the other room in the square there, and, and I, I love being there, and I, I want to just personally thank the elders. They're appreciating us, but I appreciate them. I had been gone, and so they uh, really led that time of, of just corporate prayer as a, as a community, and so then I came back, and they're like, all right, you're on, Pastor, and so I'm grateful. I, I open in prayer, and I get to close in prayer, but the highlight for me was not my prayer, but it was actually just kind of listening in to the prayers of our community. And I don't know, I just kind of felt like this, this gravitas of, hey, I'm getting to listen in on the heartbeat of God's church, this cosmic listening party. And man, I wish everyone could have been there just to hear these prayers and prayers that just came from honest, heartfelt places, prayers for, for our nation, just so many lifting up our, our leaders, prayers for those who are sick and struggling with cancer and and prayers against the, the pain of this world and seasons of depression and anxiety. And, and then also just prayers of great hope. Great hope for what God can do and will do in his life. And it was just this, this moment of just kind of having all the, all the gauges on the dashboard were just working. And got to listen in on that. And of course, um, we've ended that. That was our, our last one. But you can pray anytime. You can, you know, pray on your own. Or you can gather someone up and say, hey, let's just, let's just spend some time listening to God together. Brings me to my, my last thought, and in fact, the story to me is, is so fantastic because it ends with this twist. Moses gets sent now on this whole new adventure, and I told you, he's 80 years old, and I think this is what's so powerful about prayer is you never know how God is going to disrupt, change, and challenge your life, but you must be willing to go there with God. In fact, I think what I see about Moses is Moses is like, hey, great plan, but if I go there who do I tell them sent me? Like, kind of, duh, you're talking to God. Like, that's a no-brainer. Just tell them God sent you. And yet he's pushing back and pushing back against the power of God working in his life. And you may feel that too. You might feel like pushing back. And I would tell you to move forward and to step in as Moses did. I think not only do we need to give God our, our full presence of attention and find the tensions inside of us, but we also must embrace the unexpected brilliance of God. I don't know what Moses was thinking when he got up that morning and started moving his herd around, but I, I guarantee you he was not thinking that at 80 years old he would go on this new adventure. I mean, you think about it, 80 years old, he's probably thinking, what, now? I mean, everything I had, God, that I was going to offer you, it's long gone, right? I got nothing left to give you. I have failed you. I have forgotten you. I'm a murderer. And I think what God is saying here in his brilliance is good, you finally recognized it. You finally got to the end of yourself, and now I can use you. I think that has incredible ramifications for us today. In fact, that's really where repentance and a relationship with God begins, is getting all the way to the end of yourself and saying, God, I need you. I need you to come into my life and to open me up and to expose me in the ways in which you're calling me into your world. See, God's timing is not our timing, but God's timing is always perfect and right for every, every person. So where's the burning bush that God is calling you to turn your attention towards? I'm gonna invite you in this moment just to simply close your eyes and bow your head if you'd like, and I'm gonna just offer a prayer. And what I hope more in this prayer is that God just begins to speak and you begin to listen for his voice. 
So Father God, we're here and you are here because you are everywhere. And so we just simply, we come to this point where we wanna move beyond just a simple belief in who you are to a real encounter. God, I pray for my friends here today, just anyone within the sound of my voice, that they would have this real encounter, a spiritual awakening with you, God. And you don't promise that that's going to be easy, but you do promise that that's going to be whole. It's gonna be a life of fulfillment and purpose and value, not because of ourselves, but because we step in and we turn away and we go on the adventure that you've called us to. God, I pray for this community that we would be the type of people that listen well, that listen well for your voice, that listen well to our neighbors and to the tensions and the pain that is also easy to see around us, God. Use us and mold us. And God, I just pray that you would break us in the ways that you need to, out of comfort and out of ease and into the way in which you've called us. God, we thank you for this day and we give you all of our hearts and all of our attention. We love you and we praise you. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 